Good morning, everyone. As you turn to Ephesians 5, uh, I know there's not a lot of commentary as you're reading the scripture, but I signed up for scripture a while back, and I didn't know what we were going to be reading this morning until earlier this week, and uh, Ralph had emailed me, and um, I just smiled when I came up with Ephesians 5, because we've been on some journeys this summer, and uh, just in loving my wife and caring for her, I spent a lot of time in Ephesians 5, and um, it's just a neat chapter. And so as you, as you consider your spouse, you know that deep love that you have for each other. But yet in this Ephesians 5, we see the picture of how Christ loves his church, which teaches us how to love our spouse. And just it's a neat circle relationship. So what a neat passage this morning. So Ephesians 5, we're going to read the whole chapter. Therefore, be intimidators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is... And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. May be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Chris, for the reading of the word. We're continuing in our Gospel Markers series and want to just briefly mention where we've been to get to where we are this morning. It was noted that there was a serious problem. That problem was sin. That was the first message. And then the solution is Christ. Then the third was the power of the gospel, which is new life, new life in Christ. And then fellowship, walking in the light with God and his son and with one another. Last week, Kevin Frazier taught on the Holy Spirit and mentioned 
three particular things. That the Spirit was the power to save, to transform, and secure. I want to mention that in particular because just keep that in mind because there's quite a bit of overlap today in those purposes. We're looking at the church. It is this, this morning, it is certainly not an exhaustive message. Uh, it's a very deep subject, deep and wide. Our, our focus, is in particular, is on the purity of the church, the bride of Christ. Just a, a brief outline, though I, I uh, must confess, I, I found this message difficult to outline. But there are a few headings that I hope will, will uh, supply some order. First is the purpose of the church as the bride of Christ. I thought it necessary to spend a few minutes on that before we talk about the purity of the bride of Christ. And then we'll look at some connections to the other gospel markers that we have been teaching. First, I want to ask a question. It may have occurred to you, maybe not, but I'd like for it to be considered. What does the purity of the bride have to do with the gospel? The reason I ask that is I don't think it just is easily and immediately obvious. So we need to think about it if we haven't. More simply, why do we call the church the bride of Christ? I ask that because we need to touch on that in order for there to be a foundation for the rest of what we're looking at. And I want to share a short story that came to me that illustrates at least part of of something we need to look at. Uh, In our family, uh, this was several years ago, I'm guessing that uh, David, our second son, was around three. Yes. Uh, He was an interesting little fellow. He had a terrific memory, still does, most of it at least. And he loved books. He loved to read books. With his memory, he memorized, we, we read a lot of books. We'd, we were constantly reading to them. And so he memorized the text precisely. <laughs> so how it would happen is after a while he would read them for himself or he would love to read them to other people. So he would Look at a, briefly look down at a page and then look up at the wall in front and recite verbatim the words on that page. Then he would look at the next sheet and recite that page, triggering the picture with the word. I, I don't know how that happens, but it did. Well, one day, we had a, 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 an old friend visit us, a minister, used to be an elder in our church. We loved him dearly. His name was Lawrence, and uh, Lawrence loved children, and so he uh, graciously sat down. David wanted to read him a book. So uh, he had not experienced this before. So as he began to experience this, he realized and probably looked over at the stack of books sitting next to David and figured that this is going to go on for a while. So uh, Lawrence, being a, a, a crafty fellow, after several pages, he got the hang of it, and he said, David, what does the last page say? And David just turned to the last page, read the last page. That was a great book, Lawrence said. He got up. (laughs) So that was his exit path. Now, what does this have to do with this message? Not too much, except except for perhaps you can remember the last page. That's what this is about. Because in order to know 
to be solid on why do we call the church the bride of Christ? And what does the purity of the bride have to do with the gospel? We need to know what the Bible says about it. And the best place to go is the last page. Uh, now, depending on your Bibles, it may be the second to the last and the last page. But if you will turn to Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read a few verses, 1 through 5 and then 9 through 11. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Skip to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. More than any other passage in the scriptures, this is why we understand the church to be the bride of Christ. This is the final picture, or very nearly. We have some further wonderful pictures, and we're not going to read all the description of the city, which is generally just a description of its perfections. So, let's consider what purpose God has in bringing this about. If you contemplate this, it really is mind-blowing that the church is to become the bride of Christ. There is indeed a purpose of the church as a bride of Christ. I want to read a few scriptures, and you can follow along if you like. Uh, three passages we read. Hebrews 1, the first five verses. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8. And Revelation 5, verse 9. First Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 5. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That is a quote from Psalm 2. And we will read the verses 7 and 8 from Psalm 2. Because it has those words and some more that are very important. Verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. And then Revelation 5, 
verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We need to understand this morning that the reason that we speak of the bride of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, is indeed because the Father, God the Father, has covenanted with His Son this very thing. Has encouraged Him, His Son, to ask of Him so that He might give Him the nations. It's an inheritance. And we see in Revelation how this, looking into the future, it indeed happens. And as we read earlier in chapter 21, the picture of that culmination. This is behind. This is overarching. So much of everything that we read and, and would understand in the Word. It's been God's plan all along to covenant with His Son. And when we consider the Father's covenant with His Son, it gives richer meaning and purpose to the new covenant by which we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed for a purpose. We are saved unto something. We're saved unto good works. He has prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. But more than that, that's indeed true, and, and, and this is an important thing in our lives here on earth. But we're steadily working towards something much greater. That's why Colossians 1.12 speaks of giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. Consider when Jesus, on the cross, cried out, It is finished. His suffering was basically finished. Once he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But it was more than that. He had fulfilled his part of the covenant. After he was buried and then raised again after three days, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father who said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. His work was done. He sat down and waited. He yet waits. Remember that only the Father knows when that time comes. So when God adds the saved to the church, Acts 2.47, let's read that. simple verse, but it's very important. At the end of chapter 2, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, this wasn't an afterthought. It's part of his eternal purpose. Salvation is not an end to itself. In other words, when God saved you, He did not think, oh no, what am I going to do with him now? I'll just put him in the church and come up with something later. No. This is his intention with with purpose that is incredible and powerful in our lives. No, he placed you in the church 
just where he wanted you, by the way, says in Corinthians. He placed you there with a purpose. And his purpose is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is terminology referring not only to ones that are brought to Christ and conformed to his image, individuals, but also the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ is not only the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1.15, he is the firstborn over his new creation. And God has determined that his son will be the firstborn among many brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ who not only died with Christ and have been raised with him to new life, but who also will be conformed into the image of his son, prepared to be his bride. And so in light of God's purpose for the church to be the bride of Christ, let's look now at the Lord Jesus Christ's desire for the purity of his bride. And let's read in Ephesians 5, our text for today, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Right here in this Ephesians 5 text is a strong connection of the purity of the bride of Christ to the gospel message. The Lord Jesus Christ has given himself up for us, his bride. Should we not respond with joyful submission to his desire for a pure bride? yielding to his ongoing cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. We love him because he first loved us. And he who is forgiven much, loves much. Have we been forgiven much? Also note that the Lord is not only preparing a place for us, as he promised in John 14 too, he's also preparing us for the place, a place with him forever as his pure and holy bride. The standard of holiness, the standard of purity is Jesus Christ himself. And every one of us, I know, will acknowledge that we can never meet that standard on our own. Any more than by any works of righteousness of our own that we could save ourselves. It continues to hold true. We're dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, the righteousness that he gives. He took our sins. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness, is acceptable to God who is perfect and holy. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. But God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Colossians 3, 9-10 says additionally, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. It seems that God is very concerned about image. Remember that he made us in his image. And we rebelled against that. We took the aspects of his perfect character 
And with independent spirit, Adam, as our representative, and we would have not done any better, God chose Adam as our representative. He doeth all things well. And so we find that we justly have all sinned. We have marred that image. But there's something more that it's not just a matter of Christ's righteousness substituting. That is a a precious work, but it's not an either or here that we need to accept his righteousness, but also give ourselves, to yield ourselves to, to the Father's plan for us to mold us into the image of Christ in an ongoing way. Both components are here in the Christian faith. That it's never going to depend on our, our own works, but we are saved to good works. It will never depend upon our own purity. It's the purity of Christ. At the final day, we will be changed, right? Until that day, we are flawed. But as we'll find as we move on, that's not the total picture. God has a plan for us right now. And if we're aware of it, let us embrace it. Or as Paul said in Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That scripture more clearly, doesn't it? Let us see that there's a plan right now that's ongoing. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to point out that there's still a little bit of mystery here. If you recall in the text toward the end of chapter 5, Paul talks about that it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. There are some mysteries he refers to earlier in Ephesians' letter as well. He speaks of the mystery and then speaks of it being revealed. Uh, not here. Some things remain a bit of a mystery to us. And I want to point out an aspect that came to me that perhaps you thought of it or perhaps it would trouble you as you think about it. I do believe the Lord gives an answer. It may not be totally satisfactory to our human minds, but it's part of his plan. We know that we will be changed, as I mentioned earlier, in the twinkling of an eye. We will be like him because we shall see him as he is, 1 John says. Our blessed Savior and exalted Lord of heaven and earth, we see him as he truly is, coming to receive us to himself. And yet we also know that we can never be perfect until that day. So, so then what is meant by not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish? Is that referring to that day when it happens? But until that day, We can never be perfect or totally purified. One of the possible uh, dead-end roads we might take here is, why work so hard when I'll be changed then? There's an answer for that. And we need to know that and embrace it. It may indeed not remove all of the mystery, but I believe we will be helped and encouraged toward maturity in Christ when we see clearly that it is our maturity in Him that the Lord is working toward rather than an elusive perfection in this life. This is not that we shouldn't care deeply and be careful, be alert. We have many exhortations in the Word about this. But reason I would use even in the term elusive perfection. If we took a poll 
of 100 people, wouldn't we get probably 80 or 90 different descriptions of what one thinks that perfection would be made up of? As flawed, sinful human beings, we're, we're going to miss the mark in even trying to come up with that. It's a futile exercise. But that's, that's not even what's in view. What is in view is maturity in Christ. Remember how there's some scriptures that refer to that. Ephesians 4.13 Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Perfect in the sense of complete and mature. You might recall a message that Steve Mazengo preached not too long ago out of Colossians 1. And if we turn there and read verses 28 and 29, I trust you'll recall some of that. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. This was his goal. The maturity of every believer. As we pursue maturity in Christ with our eyes on him, we will indeed sin less. And we may also become more aware and sensitive to sin in our own lives and think we do worse. But the outcome will be a growing in grace, becoming more Christ-like when we give ourselves to these things. As, as Paul instructed Timothy, give yourself to these things. Let your progress be seen by all. It, it, it does become evident for his glory. We cannot pass through this Ephesians 5 passage without noting that the context is what it is. We're, we're looking at the things spoken of Christ and the church and the bride of Christ here. The purity. But the context is instructions to husbands and wives. And, and so I want to just mention a few things for your consideration. In light of Christ's desire for purity in his bride. And in light of the fact that for both wives and husbands, Christ is pointed to as the example. Both are, for the wives, our example toward Christ. For the husbands, the example of Christ toward us. Husbands, do you want your wife to cheerfully submit? Then love and serve her following Christ's example. And take heed to yourselves. Because you can't give what you don't live. Now that doesn't mean putting yourself first. To taking heed to yourself. But rather walking in the light. Staying alert. Straining forward toward maturity. Wives, do you want your husband to love you? Respect him and submit as to the Lord, as the scripture says. And don't expect a level of perfection that only comes when Jesus returns. Pray for and encourage him toward maturity in Christ. Think of it as a steady upward path. Maybe with some ups and downs here and there, but an, up, an upward climb, a pilgrim's progress, if you will. I want to mention some connections to the other gospel markers that we've mentioned so far. In particular, uh, the Holy Spirit, and then the message two weeks ago on fellowship. <clears throat> All of the Holy Spirit's power 
and faithful work is on behalf of Christ's body to save, transform, and secure. But especially the power to transform because we're talking about the purity of Christ's bride and how that happens. If we understand what his goal is and we embrace this, we can, we can come to deeply appreciate, to indeed love the work of God in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. Even in the midst of difficult trials, we can grow in grace, grow in love. If you find yourself stumbling, being straightforwardly aware and acknowledging this, confessing to say the same thing. When you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Spirit's work to to shine light, to convince us. And then we can, can run to the Lord too, to trust in Christ's work on our behalf. And as we do this, as we trust in him, as we feed upon his word, our minds are renewed. I want to note here too that the Holy Spirit, as Kevin mentioned last week, is the power, he has the power to transform. But the church is both the place and the object of the transformation. I want you to think about that a bit. And there's a the verse that I think helps to, to set this. In Ephesians 4, read both verses for context, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The more that we can be aware of the Lord's plan here, the more we can wholeheartedly cooperate. I would ask you to consider that the church is both the place for this transformation to happen, and indeed, we ourselves are the object of transformation. Then the message two weeks ago on the fellowship of the church with Christ and with one another out of 1 John 1. Walking in the light enables cleansing from unrighteousness. This is the very thing the Lord wants to accomplish in his bride preparing us for that day. According to Ephesians 5. So I think it's good to see the the connection here with the purifying of the bride of Christ. Preparing us for Christ's return that the fellowship of the church, giving ourselves to that wholeheartedly, increases our, our growth in him, our maturity. Again, seeing this, the distinction between a perfection that man would think of as no mistakes. Rather, a maturity. When, when someone is growing in, in maturity and grace of God, then they are more like Christ every day. It's important, too, to see that the maturity in Christ, to see it not just in an individual sense, although that is very true, and we praise God for that, that his grace to us reaches us and reaches even me. But it's more than just the individual sense. This maturity in Christ is strongly connected to us being purified and prepared to be his bride. And if we see that distinction, individual and corporate, if you will, that both are happening, are intended to happen by God, then I think that'll help us to see that same distinction with the purity of the bride of Christ. We then see the other gospel markers as well 
in that same sense, both individual and corporate. So we see that as to be his bride in eternity. I'm sorry, I skipped a beat here. The Lord can help us to see the other gospel markers as well in the corporate sense because that's God's eternal purpose for us to be purified and prepared together. So just some some final thoughts as applications of this. That the bride of Christ is generally not part of the message that gets proclaimed to unbelievers. And this is not surprising. It, it probably doesn't belong there. Not that it ever couldn't be. But it's okay. This is something that, that gets taught to believers. Once someone is raised a new life in Christ, you want them to understand their glorious inheritance. It's just not something we can get our, get our minds around to start with. But as we come to recognize, as we know this, this truth, it should motivate us to proclaim the gospel. We know that God is preparing a bride. We should desire that his bride be as we see eventually happens in Revelation from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And he calls us to be involved with that. That will be elaborated uh, later, some of these ongoing gospel markers, so I, I don't want to go any farther there. But just to point out that this should be a strong motivating factor to proclaim the gospel. It should also be a motivating factor to yield to the potter, the heavenly father that's at work to mold us into the image of Christ. You might recall in, in the, toward the end of Revelation, you find these words, the spirit and the bride say, come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We long for his return. We ought to. But perhaps we also need to hear at the same time. To hear our Lord say, go. Tell it on the mountains. He's called to be our witness. We're, we're called to be his witnesses. Acts 1.8. Hear him say, my bride is not yet complete. I have a purpose for you, both to be yielded, to be changed into his image, and to be his witnesses. Another point here is that his love for us is so wonderful. We experience that personally. It's deeply satisfying. He intends it to be. Nevertheless, let's keep in mind that God is the focus. That's one thing we ought to see here when you see his overarching plan. Scriptures are full of, of, of wonderful words of, of comfort and love. For God so loved the world that gave his only son. We might not perish but have eternal life and many, many others like that. His love reaches us individually and each one he sets his love upon and, and, and we are brought from darkness to light, from death to life. Nevertheless, let's keep our focus on God in terms of purpose. He is the focus, not us. Christ is to be preeminent, not to be self-focused because of his blessings. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Think about the first chapter of Ephesians. It just is loaded. just bowls us over the kind of things he's done, culminating with giving us his spirit, sealing us. The spirit is the earnest. As Kevin taught last week, 
And yet, that's not his overarching purpose. And that's why we need to hear and understand that it's God's, the Father's covenant with his Son that is what this is really all about. And we are blessed incredibly to be part of that. As a contrast to from as an example from our experience here on earth. Just imagine a bride as excitedly that, that we see, we just imagine a picture of, of a, a bride uh, soon to be and is in a home and relatives are coming in for the wedding. And we find her excited, it would seem mostly or mainly, to see her relatives that she hasn't seen in a while. Or excited about all the expected wedding gifts. Or even her soon-to-be status change. All of those would be examples of a self-focus. What about her coming husband? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Please note that that is not automatic, that we are transformed. We're transformed as we are looking at Christ and his glory. And, and there needs to be that sense as the bride of Christ, as part of the bride, of looking forward. Our eyes being on him. And in regard to uh, the church being the bride of Christ, uh, it's a relatively small point here, but uh, as an application, more of our thinking. Just note that the local church is a body, not a body part. And we don't think about this much, but it's possible that without thinking about it, we kind of slip into the wrong mode here. It would be an incorrect picture, biblically, to imagine, if you imagine the, the universal body of Christ, and, and, you know, here's hope in Christ's church, this freckle there and then a bunch of other churches here. No. No, a church is not a body part in Christ's view. It's, it's not an either or, it's both. There's the universal church, but I'll read this definition from a biblical dictionary kind of area that I think helps. Ecclesia the word for church, denotes the redeemed community in its twofold aspect. One, the entire community of all who are called by and to Christ out of the world, the church universal. And two, every church in which the character of the church as a whole is seen in miniature. You might consider, for example, the, the letter, letters to the Corinthian church. He was often speaking to them they needed some teaching about understanding that they are all members of one body and they're to be functioned. It, the context was basically instruction for, for functioning. But first, they had to recognize the truth to, to, to take that in and, and uh, apply it in, in their relations with one another. If you recall, I'm sure we recall because we often read 1 Corinthians 11 out of that when, when we uh, have a time of communion. And that came about because of Paul's correction, because basically they were, were not thinking of one another and recognizing each other as members of the body. So th- this happens, if you look at the body of Christ, there's a universal body of Christ. It's the Lord's intention. He regards not a local church as the whole, but he regards a local church as his body, which is why you find that terminology everywhere. So I think it can help us to, if we are able to, to take that and appreciate 
the Lord's intention. Because if you see that in light of his overall plan to perfect the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, there's a togetherness aspect of that. Because we're not individually the bride of Christ. It's not brides of Christ. It's bride of Christ. So it's important that he, he uses our, our fellowship to cleanse us uh, and also our fellowship together with, with the Father and the Son and one another, 1 John 1. Also to prepare us uh, as a body. There's a togetherness aspect there that is necessary that we grasp in order to be uh, prepared as his bride. So, just as a short summary, I want to just emphasize that what is at the top of all this, or foundationally, if you will, the Father's covenant with his Son. Remember in Psalm 2. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations of inheritance. And we see that that will happen. Foreseen in Revelation. And so this is an overarching theme, and it's intended to be a strong motivation for us to walk in the light with one another, that we might be purified for Christ. May the Lord bless his word and these thoughts. Father, I thank you for your wonderful word. We remind ourselves just now that your word is a living and active word. Able to do your bidding. Able to accomplish what you send it forth to do. And here we are, Lord. Our eyes are on you as we contemplate this. As we see that you have desired to include us in your body, to include us, preparing us to gather, to be your bride. And we want to keep our eyes on you and be changed as we continue to look at you and we are changed from glory to glory. We want to give ourselves to the fellowship of the church that as we walk with you in the light, we walk in the light with one another that you cleanse us from our sins. You cleanse us from unrighteousness. When we're walking in the light, when we sin, to confess it, to acknowledge, to not hide. We see the blessing in David's life as he finally comes to that point and is restored by you. In Psalm 51, I pray that you would give us your understanding and an additional encouragement that we need to walk in the light with you and with one another so that you might have the bride that you desire and that we might be a part of it. It's our desire, Lord. We pray that you would bring us to maturity in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.